The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Wednesday edition of PFTPM. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here for the next hour. Miles, I'm not going to ask you, how are you today? Because I don't care now and I never do and you never care how I am what I am going to do is wish you a very happy NFL new league year and I don't care whether or not you have a happy NFL new league year hello how am I supposed to respond to that that's so weird Mike happy new year to you too and I actually do wish you a very happy new league year and it's going to be a happy new league year for all of us at the pro football talk team so there do you agree with my take and and disagree at your own peril that they should just get rid of the two-day negotiating window and just get right to it like they used to you know back when you were 10 yes yes no i actually do agree with that because what we've been doing for the last couple of days is basically saying hey this guy's going this place this guy's going this place and very rarely does it happen but sometimes they won't actually go to that place and i think you know the way you put it in your post is basically the Everybody is tampering anyway. So when you have a legal tampering versus illegal tampering, the illegal tampering just happens earlier. So why do we even have this free agent negotiating period when it should just be, you know what, when we're going to do free agency, let's just start free agency because it's basically been going on for a couple of days anyway. It's just that now things like the trades can be officially announced. One more important question, because like with all of the PFT writers, the only time that I actually have interaction with you or Shireen or MDS or anyone else is on this show at this time. What is your stance on the five second rule for hamburgers or other foodstuffs at major international airports? Never, ever, ever would I consume anything <laughs> that has fallen on the floor at LaGuardia. And I know that they've got a new terminal there that I haven't been to, but uh, I've flown in and out of LaGuardia many times, and there was no way I would eat something that's been on the ground there. That's disgusting. <laughs> Unless the terminal is so new that no one has ever walked in there before, that's the only way I'd even consider it. The moment it's open to the public is the moment that everything on any member of the public shoes ends up in the spot where your burger or other item may land. That, to me, was one of the most amazing disclosures I've ever heard a human being make in a public setting, especially someone without a spleen who claims to be a germaphobe. I'm not sure he knows what the word means, but that was fun this morning with Chris Sims as he was rushing to an airport. Hamburger fell. Rapper was on it. Unclear whether or not the rapper protected the burger from hitting the floor at LaGuardia. He bet the under, and he was over a trash can for three days after that. And that's the truth that finally came out 13 months after Chris's escapades with stomach trouble 
in Indy at the scouting combine. All right, let's get to it. You saw at the very end of the sound we play at the beginning, and it's been a few minutes you may have forgotten already. I know I have, but Dan Patrick talking earlier today about the information he's obtained regarding the offer that was made by the Chicago Bears to potentially acquire quarterback Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks. Three first-round picks, third-round pick, and two starters. Now, we don't know which two starters they're talking about. Once they restructured Khalil Mack's contract, I assume Mack was out of any package, and maybe the ship sailed on any potential deal at that point. That was a few days ago. But, you know, Miles, the problem with three first-round picks, it's where they are. Something Peter King pointed out yesterday. The Bears are at number 20. If you're at number five or higher, it's a much more valuable pick. And if the Bears have Russell Wilson, chances are next year the pick is going to be 20 or lower for the Bears. So three picks in that range for Russell Wilson plus a third-round pick plus a couple of players that we don't even know who they are, I can understand why the Seahawks ultimately said no thanks. Oh, yeah, me too, especially given the fact that the Bears have that pick. That's a 20 this year. Look, you can't say that you're going to trade Russell Wilson and then not have any kind of viable plan for quarterback going forward. I think if this were a team that were in the top five and they were to say, all right, we'll give you three first round picks, then that's a little bit of a different story because I think at least the consensus at this point is that there are four to five guys who could be franchise quarterbacks that could come in those first few picks um, in the first round. So from that perspective, it makes total sense to me that Seattle would say, I think we can still work things out here with Russell Wilson and bears, you know, you got to kick rocks and go sign Andy Dalton. Yeah. And the question now becomes before we get to that, before we get to that, so I I was on, the score in Chicago. I do a Tuesday thing and a Wednesday thing there every week. And the question came up as to why the bears would leak this. And I'm not sure the bears leaked it. And I don't want to start speculating on who Dan's sources may have been, but Russell Wilson was on his show six weeks ago and that lit the fuse for all these conversations. So maybe he got it from Wilson. Maybe he got it from someone close to Wilson. I don't know. And I don't care, but from the bears perspective, To the extent that the report from the Chicago Tribune was that the Bears were going to go all in to try to get Russell Wilson. This isn't exactly going all in to try to get Russell Wilson. This is far from Herschel Walker. And again, if you're Russell Wilson, you don't want to go to a team that has given the keys to the franchise to the Seahawks in order to get Russell Wilson. You don't want Russell Wilson to be the the next guy in the Patrick Mahomes meme from last week where it's just Wilson against 11 players on defense. But... That doesn't strike me as going all in to get Russell Wilson. And if the Bears leaked it, I don't know what they were trying to prove by leaking it, Miles. Well, what would strike you as going all in for Wilson then? I mean, would it be basically an entire draft? Just I'm pushing all my chips into the middle? Two drafts? What do you think that would be? Well, remember the Ricky Williams trade from 1999, back when you were probably two. The, the And I'm probably fairly close to being accurate with that. The Saints got and, excuse me, gave up an entire draft plus another first rounder just to move up a few spots to get Ricky Williams. So, look, I don't know. Giving up a full draft, I don't know what that really means by way of value. Symbolically, it's significant. But once you get past round three, who cares, right? Now, you're giving up lottery tickets, and you never know when that lottery ticket is going to end up being a huge winner. But multiple first-round picks, I think four first-round picks plus – a starting quarterback, like if the Jets would show up 
with the two picks this year, the two picks next year, and Sam Darnold because the Jets hold Seattle's first-round picks in 2021 and 22 from the Jamal Adams trade, that would, to me, be wow. Wow. But the Bears don't have the ability to do that. I think you have to yeah, – I mean, and, and, yeah, I just don't think the Bears can get there from where they start. Khalil Mack would have had to have been part of it. The three first-round picks, maybe three second-round picks to get – to the point where you get the Seahawks' attention and make it worth their while, especially because of the fact, again, that they're at number 20 this year, and chances are they're going to be at 20 or lower in future years if they have Russell Wilson. So I just don't think the Bears were ever going to be able to do it. And I don't know that that it benefits them to put out there what they ultimately offered, especially the day after they agreed to terms with Andy Dalton. I tend to think this comes from Wilson's camp, and it's aimed at sending a message to one of these other teams. Because I do think, I do think, Miles, even though Mark Rogers, the agent for Russell Wilson, identified only the Bears, Cowboys, Saints, Raiders, I think there's other teams he's got in his pocket that Russell Wilson would take a trade to. And maybe this was just aimed at, at pulling the cord on the lawnmower to see if one of these other teams will get it done. Whether it's the Panthers with the eighth pick, the Dolphins with the third pick, or the Jets with the second pick. Well, I think that there has to be some other contingency plan with these other teams, right? Because at this point, you know, the four teams that were on that list, the Raiders, the Cowboys, the Bears, and the last team, the Saints, all of those guys seem to at least have some sort of quarterback solution in place with perhaps the exception of the Raiders, where I think if they really wanted to get something done, then maybe they could try. And at least they would have Derek Carr to send back uh, to Seattle and he's a viable quarterback. And, you know, maybe that those uh, picks that would ostensibly be in the twenties or lower, then you'd be okay. As long as you have that QB already in place. So that's something where if Russell Wilson really wants to get out and, you know, the Raiders say, we really want this guy to be our QB, then maybe that could make it work. But I think you're right to bring up somebody like the Panthers too. Because they seem very hellbent on getting a franchise quarterback this offseason. And obviously the reports today have been that they are singularly focused on getting Deshaun Watson. But I think if, you know, Russell Wilson were to become available to them, especially because Scott Fitterer came from the Seattle organization, that's not something that they would turn their nose up at. Because obviously Russell Wilson has been so consistent for so long, Mike, that, yeah, he, he – is somebody that should be a franchise quarterback and that anybody should probably want if they don't have one already. I'm fascinated by the possibility that Scott Fitterer doesn't want Russell Wilson because he knows what he's buying with Russell Wilson because he's been in Seattle and he knows what Russell wants, both from a football standpoint and from a financial standpoint. Russell Wilson likes to break the bank every chance he gets. That's one of the benefits of having an agent who has only one client. I've said this before. Mark Rogers is not burdened by the realities of broader relationships with general managers for other clients because if you reach for too much with one guy, you potentially piss people off who otherwise can give some of your other guys jobs. Pick this guy over that guy. You get an opportunity. We have a good relationship with you, so we're going to give you a break here. You took care of us on this. We're going to help you out. That's how the sausage gets made. Mark Rogers doesn't have to play that game because Russell Wilson's his only client, and Fitterer may be thinking, I don't want to have to negotiate with Mark Rogers because 
When you trade a player, you're getting the player. You're getting everything. You're inheriting whatever problems the Seahawks have. And if you're not going to solve the problems the Seahawks have with Wilson, they're your problems now. And you got him under contract for three more years. And regardless of whether or not he's happy with his role and his influence and the offense running through him, regardless of all of that, he's going to want $45 million a year or whatever the top of the market is when 2023 rolls around. So that may be... One of the reasons why when we hear the reports about the Panthers and Deshaun Watson, it's just Deshaun Watson and not Russell Wilson. Well, that's a good point. And I think the other part of that is when you said Mark Rogers only has that one client, that's probably why he's more comfortable going on the record and saying, as Russell Wilson's agent, here are the four teams that this guy would be interested in going to because he's not as concerned about the other clients that could possibly be on those other teams. I mean, look, when you're talking about the Raiders and Russell Wilson being interested in going to the Raiders, Derek Carr is already there. You know, Derek Carr has helped lead a team to the playoffs already, and albeit that was in 2016. But it's not like Derek Carr is not an established quarterback for Las Vegas. So I think that that encapsulates so much of what's going on with this Russell Wilson situation because he is Russell Wilson is the quarterback. He wants a certain amount of power. He wants his offensive line to get better. He wants to make sure that he has some sort of influence over what the scheme is going to be. And it remains to be seen if when they actually give him the keys that he can really consistently be an off- the type of offensive threat that you would expect a quarterback who has that much power to be. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And you've got to be ready to make him your Patrick Mahomes. That's what he's looking mm-hmm. for. And if someone doesn't make the Seahawks an offer they won't refuse, the Seahawks have to figure out a way to to focus on getting the most out of this year. Now, look, Russell Wilson supposedly can compartmentalize and he'll deal with it and he'll stay in Seattle and he'll make the most of it. But it doesn't mean he's as happy as he can be and it doesn't mean he's going to stay there long term. And I heard not long after he signed his last contract in Seattle that this is his last contract in Seattle. It probably was, however it plays out, Deshaun Watson's last contract in Houston. You know, Miles, yesterday during the show, when the word broke that Tyrod Taylor had agreed to terms with the Texans, my first thought was the Texans finally have reached acceptance. They've gotten through anger, denial, bargaining, and depressions, and they accept that they have a problem. Whether they're accepting that they have to trade Deshaun Watson or they're accepting that they need a viable quarterback on the roster if Watson sits out, that's still not clear. But you and I both saw the tweet today from John McClain when he says that he believes that Deshaun Watson will be traded. And this is the guy who on January 7th said he's got a better chance of being the next coach of the Texans than than Deshaun Watson being traded. That was January 7th. We're just two months and change past that, and he's come not full circle. He's done the 180. And uh, I I think that means Deshaun Watson's getting traded and that the signing of Tyrod Taylor isn't to be insurance against Deshaun Watson sitting out. It's to be their quarterback until they bench him for whoever they draft in round one, like what happened to Tyrod Taylor with the Browns and with the Chargers.
Yeah, or, or it could just be that he's going to be the backup to Tua Tagovailoa if they end up shipping Deshaun Watson to Miami. And then maybe he could be the relief pitcher since Tua Tagovailoa needed one of those last year. So I, I think that when you see John McClain say something and the way he's been following the story, obviously he's evolved on what he thinks of this. And I think as time has gone on, look, you got to think about what was going on back then on that date in January, the, the Texans didn't have a head coach yet. I don't think we knew quite the full extent of Deshaun Watson's frustrations. We, we hadn't gotten to the point where the Texans didn't really interview Eric B until after it came out that Deshaun Watson was upset that they hadn't, we didn't get to the point where, you know, they hadn't really talked seriously with Robert Sala, even though Deshaun Watson had said, Hey, this is a guy that I think we might want to be interested in. So I think from there to now, there's been a lot of things that have happened and there have been more things that have come out about the Houston Texans organization, whether it's Cal McNair, whether it's Jack Easterby, you know, the way they went about hiring Casario. There's just a lot of things I think that have happened in the last couple of months that have really cemented Deshaun Watson's feelings as to why he doesn't want to play for the Texans any longer. And I think that it would behoove the Texans and it would probably be in their best interest to trade him sooner than later because his value is never going to be as high, I think, as it is right now. Or maybe it might get a little bit higher, but at least by the time they're drafting at the end of April, I don't know that it's going to be higher than that, Mike. I think the thing that needs to happen now, and this is what needed to happen back in January, you find out the teams to which Deshaun Watson would accept a trade because he has a no-trade clause. Where do you want to go? And even without a no-trade clause, franchise quarterback... He's got to want to go to where he's being traded or that team shouldn't want him, just like the Bears never made a real offer for Carson Wentz because Wentz didn't want to go to the Bears. So with or without the no-trade clause, you can't do this deal if the guy didn't want to be there. So, Deshaun, where do you want to go? Give us a fair list. And then you you start the bidding. Peter King has suggested a blind auction because he thinks that's, that's the way to get the most out of David Tepper, the Panthers owner. But however you do it, you do it. And you do it before the team's to which Watson would accept a trade, lock in to their long-term quarterback answers. And right now, I see the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Panthers, and the Broncos, and the Broncos, because I think the Broncos can tread water with Drew Locke until the ninth overall pick in the draft and see how it plays out. And I think the draft, round one, that's when you want to get it done by, because if you're the Texans, I assume you'd like to have 2021 draft capital, not 2022. And there's no reason to hold his contract until after June 1, like with Russell Wilson. There's not some gigantic cap charge if you trade him right now. So I, I think it makes sense because really, who who's left? If Russell Wilson's not getting traded, Andy Dalton signed, Jameis Winston signed, Ryan Fitzpatrick signed, you got Marcus Mariota, you got Sam Darnold, you got Mitchell Trubisky. I think at this point, you can start a process that has a deadline of the night the draft starts, that's when we're going to determine where Deshaun Watson's going to go. I would also maybe put the 49ers on that list just because, I mean, as you've said, they probably want to upgrade from Jimmy Garoppolo, and they've got a pick that's not too low, at least for 2021, um, in that first round of the draft. So if that's a place where Deshaun Watson would want to be, I think at least with the way that defense is constructed and the personnel that's on that defense, he would at least have a pretty good chance to win. And we know how good Kyle Shanahan is at scheming and they've just signed uh, Alex Mack. They have Trent Williams back. So that offensive line is also built to protect him. And he was one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league in 2020. So 
I, I just think that there could be some things with San Francisco also that would be appealing to Deshaun Watson. And so I, I think any number of those teams could make a call and say, listen, this is what we think Deshaun Watson is worth. You know, whether it's three first round picks for however many it happens to be. And I think the Dolphins obviously have the most draft capital that they could use and, you know, sending some of the Texans picks back to them. But whatever it is, I just feel like the Texans are going to have to capitalize on the opportunity that they have, which is to trade him and then also to start rebuilding their franchise. Because as long I feel like as Deshaun Watson is there, it's just going to be a cloud over whatever this franchise wants itself to be. And until you remove that cloud, it, it, I, I just don't know how you get yourself from out from under that, Mike. We've kicked around from time to time over the past two months some trade scenarios that are highly unlikely but fun to think about, whether it's Deshaun Watson straight up for the number one overall pick in the draft, which is the Trevor Lawrence selection, whether it's Deshaun Watson for Kyler Murray, maybe straight up, maybe the Cardinals have to throw a log or two on the pile to even it out. You could make the argument that straight up would work. If you're the 49ers, do you put Nick Bosa in a trade package if the Texans say the only way this is getting done is if you give us Nick Bosa? Yeah, I'd do it. I would do it. Because you know what? You got to score points to win in this in this game and in this league, and you'd be sending Nick Bosa at least – to the totally opposite conference. So you probably see him once every four years around there, maybe once every couple years based on the way the 17-game schedule would work out. And Or if you have to see him, you see him in the Super Bowl. I would do it. Point, you got to score. You know, defense may win the championships, but you got to score points in order to get there. So, yeah, I would, I would totally do it. Then the challenge becomes evening out the two sides of that scale. You put Bosa here, you put Watson here. It's probably still, right? So what do you put, what yeah. else do you have to throw on there? Is it is it Nick Bosa and your first round pick for Deshaun Watson? I mean, let's be realistic. Quarterbacks are the ones making 40 million plus. The high end for a pass rusher was 27. You got Shaq Barrett, the premier pass rusher this year, who couldn't even get someone to offer more than the 17 base that the Buccaneers put on the table. It's going to take Nick Bosa and at least a one to to balance it out, especially because the 49ers, where are they? Are they at 12? Are they, are they at 12? They're, they're somewhere between 9 and 20. And I, I, I every, time, every time I look at it, I think, oh, I'm going to remember this now, and I, I inevitably forget. But, uh, uh, well, what, with it is 12. Thank you, Matt Casey. With Deshaun Watson and without Nick Bosa, it's still scary to think of what the 49ers can be. And with Russell Wilson still in the NFC West with Matthew Stafford coming to the NFC West. Eventually, I think the Rams have some cap cleanup to do before they take the Jared Goff acceleration with Kyler Murray there. And you bring Deshaun Watson. Holy crap. What a division that would be. Yeah. That'd be really, really fun. So selfishly, I guess I want to see it in part for that reason, because all those quarterbacks have to play each other twice a year. But I just feel like, especially if you're Kyle Shanahan and you have the opportunity to get a quarterback who's that good and is still that young. You know, I think we all expect the Rams are going to be better when they add in Matthew Stafford, but Matthew Stafford's already basically in his mid-30s. So you get a guy who's still in his mid-20s and is that young and you still think has room to grow? Uh, yeah, I would trade Nick Bosa. I would probably add in a couple of ones too, just because that, it seems to make sense to me. 
if that were to be the case where I can get that particular guy, that to me is all in. If I, if I have to trade Nick Bosa, I'm going to do it. If I have to add in a couple more ones, I'm going to do it. If it's got to be another two and a three, probably would do that too, because that's how important I think the QB position is. If I was setting the odds on this, and thank God I'm not, or I'd lose my shirt, I'd probably put the Dolphins at plus 250. Then I'd put the Broncos at plus 350 or plus 400. Then I'd throw the Jets in there at plus 550, plus 600, and the 49ers maybe at that same number. Those would be the four teams that that I would make the favorites for Deshaun Watson. And whatever the odds were of the Texans being the next team for which Watson takes a snap, I, I, it's, you know, it's plus 2,500 at this point, if not more. Um, I, I think that, that we're getting closer and closer to the point where wherever it is, it's not going to be Houston. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I think that clearly like, and like we just started off talking about this with, you know, when John McClain says something about the NFL in Houston, that's when you know that it really is something to pay attention to because that guy is as plugged in as can be in Houston. Uh, but you didn't mention the Panthers in that, and I, I'm sort of— I did forget the Panthers. I forgot the Panthers. Okay. I, yeah, All I'd right. put them in somewhere between between the—, the uh, I, maybe right around the same spot as the Broncos because I'm not sure he no. wants to go to Carolina. I've heard nothing to suggest yes. that he does. I know Carolina wants him, but I don't know that he wants to go there. Yeah, and that's been the thing to me with this whole Carolina thing. And we hear all a lot about Carolina's pursuit of him, but I just, I really haven't seen the reporting that he also is interested in them. And that's so important because he has the no trade clause. So until he's like, we get some sort of really credible reporting that says, yes, Deshaun Watson wants to go to the Carolina Panthers. I just don't quite know what to make of that pursuit. I mean, even though uh, he played at Clemson, so that's an obvious connection to the Carolinas there. And I believe he grew up just a couple hours away from Charlotte and Georgia. So that's another thing that you could say, yeah, that might make sense for the Panthers. But at the same time, I just, I still haven't really seen something where it's definitively, yes, Deshaun Watson is interested in playing for Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers. Sometimes when you get a chance to go home, you don't want to go home. That's just the way it works. And (laughs) maybe that chapter of his life is closed and he wants to continue to move forward in a different direction with a different team. One thing he's going to have to deal with, Miles, this popped late last night. The lawsuit was filed late last night. I got a copy of it earlier today. We have a full breakdown at profootballtalk.com. A sexual assault lawsuit involving a massage that Deshaun Watson got. And he found this masseuse on Instagram, exchanged a few messages with her, went to her house, and the allegation from her, this is her allegation in the complaint, is that he wanted more than a massage. And eventually there was... uh, a a, a a an assault a sexual assault not not a rape or anything like that but you, you can read it all on pft i don't want to get into all the graphic details but um it's something as i said today on pft live that deshaun watson is going to have to deal with a tweet a statement a press release that's not going to make it go away once you activate the legal process there are steps that are taken there are documents that are filed. There are court dates that are set. You don't just show up like Joe Pesci and my cousin Vinny on the day of the arraignment, different context, criminal trial, and say, we want to fast forward to a dismissal. You have to go through the process. You'll have to answer the complaint. 
He'll have to submit at some point to testimony under oath. They'll have to provide text messages. There's reference to text messages that were exchanged between the plaintiff who has gone with a pseudonym to protect her identity and Deshaun Watson. You develop the case, and then at some point, the case potentially goes to trial unless it's settled. And there was an effort to settle it beforehand. It didn't work. And now this is something that Watson's going to have to deal with. And I heard from a GM today who said, how can you trade for Deshaun Watson when you have this cloud that's hanging out there? Well, one way you do it is you put your own lawyers and security people to work, Miles, to get to the bottom of it as quickly as possible, and you make your assessment. That's happened before. That's not unprecedented. And and uh, if you're comfortable with the guy, with the story he's telling, and that you believe it's not going to become a major issue for you at some point, you still proceed with a trade for Deshaun Watson. Well, it's not just that it's happened before. It happens every single year. These teams do this with draft prospects all the time because there are different things that come up, whether it's you know an assault charge because uh, a, a guy was you know trying to protect his girlfriend and the girlfriend was being harassed by somebody and that ended up with an assault charge. And then you say, okay, well, I feel comfortable drafting this guy because I know what he was doing and I know he was protecting his girlfriend, whether it was maybe a marijuana charge that you know the guy was caught with a couple of grams of pot. And then you do you feel comfortable dealing with that per- particular player? You know, this, these things happen all the time. And NFL teams have a lot of people who are able to investigate different things so that they feel comfortable with the background of a player in order to draft them and essentially give them a lot of money and decide that they want this player representing them in their franchise. So I I think that, yeah, there are ways that teams could become comfortable with trading for Deshaun Watson if, if they decide that they want to investigate this particular issue that has now come up for him. It's, it's certainly possible that a team could become comfortable doing that. I think. And, Miles, this is another reason for the Texans to set basically the start of the draft as the deadline because then it gives everyone five, six weeks to come to the conclusion that they're comfortable with this. Now, look, if he's guilty of what he's been accused of doing, and ultimately what will happen is if there is a trial, it will be testimony from the masseuse, testimony from Deshaun Watson, Who do you believe? Do you believe her? Do you believe him? The standard is low in a civil case. Proof beyond a reasonable doubt doesn't have to. No, no, I'm sorry. That's the criminal standard. In a civil case, it's preponderance of the evidence. It's it's the first time I've ever gotten that wrong. I went to law school 30 years ago. I've been I've I've known those standards for so long. I got them screwed up. But preponderance of the evidence, 5149. It doesn't take much. We were talking about scales earlier. All you have to do is tip it a little bit in favor of one or the other. And that's the outcome. And. And the the challenge is going to be to the extent there is objective evidence in the communications, in the Instagram ad that he responded to, the direct messages that would have been sent, the text messages that were sent. There's an allegation in the complaint that he apologized via text. Well, what did the apology say? The document didn't attach any of that stuff. Those are all things that are going to be relevant to a jury of impartial supposedly citizens, the the lawyer's job on both sides is to make sure it's a fair and impartial jury. And they're going to look at that and they're going to make a decision. And, uh, and, and if he's found to have been responsible civilly, then the question is, what's the league do? Cause I personally think the league's not going to intervene in this, even though they have the power to do it miles, but just like with Antonio Brown's pending charge of sexual assault and rape in a civil setting, the league's 
hey, we, we investigated. We don't know what to do. We're going to wait and see what happens. Because what the league, I think, doesn't want to do is say, it's fine, no punishment, and then there's some major verdict that screams out the guy did it. I, I think that, that what we can expect the league to do here, and they officially said no comment, but I think common sense would suggest they probably won't do much of anything. They'll just monitor and they'll wait and see. And if there is a verdict at some point, then then you, you take action if needed. And uh, I know Deshaun Watson scoffed at the idea of a six-figure settlement, and I don't know whether that's 100000 or 999999 But for what it's going to cost him to hire a lawyer and for the cloud it's going to put over him in the short term and long term and the potential, depending upon how the dominoes fall, that he could be disciplined by the league at some point, it's money well spent. Once you accept, just like the Texans had to accept their situation, Deshaun Watson's got to work through anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and accept that the best way out of this situation for him is to figure out the right check to write to make this a business transaction and clear it away. Uh, and again, that even if he didn't do it, and this is one of the realities of having to manage these kinds of risks in a litigation setting, even if he didn't do it, there's value in not having to deal with this whole process and worry that things could go haywire at trial and you end up with an adverse verdict. Yeah, and that's why you know these records they get sealed, right? There, there's all kinds of processes where, when you sign something or when there is a settlement, these things become secret. So that's exactly why they happen. So basically, you are able to say, "All right, I am signing a check, and I want to just use the the saying, make this go away," but because that feels crass to me, especially when we're dealing with something like sexual assault. But in effect. That's kind of what you're trying to do because you're trying to say, I want this process to end. How do I end this process in the best way possible for me? And like you said, even if he did not do it, or if he did, that could be the, the most expedient solution for him to put this issue, this particular, um, this lawsuit uh, behind him. And, and I want to be clear on this, and I'm glad you made that point. This isn't a commentary on the seriousness of the allegations. Obviously, if he actually did it, it's a different analysis altogether. But even if he knows in his heart he didn't do it, and he knows that it's false, and it's fabricated, and it's a money grab, even if it's all those things, it's a business transaction, and you have to ask yourself, is it worth dealing with this over the next 18 months to two years? Is it worth having this potentially derail my effort to get out of Houston. Is it worth all the money I'm going to spend one hour at a time on the lawyer who'll be representing me in this case with no guarantee that I'm going to be able to convince a jury of the truth that I didn't do anything wrong? That's the mountain that you're staring at when you've been sued if you truly are innocent. If you're guilty, he deserves everything he's going to get through this process, whether he settles it or not. If he's innocent, there's still a good argument to be made to finding a way as a business transaction to remove this from his overall plate of worries in his life. Let's take a break. The Cardinals and Raiders both made some moves today, including one involving both teams directly. We'll talk about that next here on PFTPM. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here is, oh, how about that? Happy St. Patrick's Day, Patrick Holmes and Patrick Starr, I think is his last name. Yes. Is it Patrick Starr from SpongeBob? Yes, yes. I am. Nah. It's not Pat or it's not Patty. It is definitely Patrick. Patrick Mahomes on St. Patrick's Day. All right. Uh, some other business that's been taken care of in this process that launched on Monday, but now officially teams can sign players as of about an hour and 38 minutes ago. The Cardinals signing A.J. Green to a one-year deal, reportedly $8 million. This one makes me nervous because – do we know that A.J. Green still has two legs and two arms? I mean, when have we seen A.J. Green in the last three years? Do we know he can do anything at the NFL level? And I, I was surprised by this one. Of all the options out there, $8 million is a lot of money for a guy who, frankly, hasn't done much miles uh, in recent years. And maybe he's been holding something back we don't know about. But, but it just seems like a, a, a risk, calculated risk, but a risk for the Cardinals. Well, again, it's it's the Cardinals becoming this destination spot, and it seems like they're trying to take advantage of the fact that Kyler Murray is in his rookie contract, and now that you basically have this window, right, be, when teams can go for it, when they've got the QB on the rookie contract, it just seems like they're trying to push all their chips into the middle, and they try to get a veteran wide receiver in A.J. Green. Look, I, I think it's weird what his stats were, in 2020, if you look at it, I mean, he got 104 targets. They only had 47 receptions, 523 yards, a couple of touchdowns, a 45% catch rate. That's just strange. I mean, it's, it's way down from what it was for most of his career, which was at 60% from 2011 to 2018. Obviously he didn't play in 2019 with the injuries. So he's going to be 33 in July. And I think he does still have all his extremities left, Mike, but I, I don't know how much he has left in the tank and what exactly he can provide for that Cardinals offense. Five yards per target this year, the (laughs) lowest in his career by far. The prior low was 7.5 yards per target, and that was a year that he had 1,000 receptions, or 1,000 yards. 1,000 receptions would be a record. 1,000 yards, not a record. He had 143 targets that year. But, I mean, franchise tagged last year. Another guy like a Hunter Henry, franchise tagged and then just gone the next year, and the Bengals never really – seriously exploring the possibility of keeping him 2019 he didn't play at all remember they had a practice in Dayton as part of the NFL's 100th season celebration and he messed up his ankle and never played that year I I, I just hey I'll believe it when I see it now he's got DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk so he'll he'll enjoy single coverage something that he didn't enjoy for most of the early years of his career but we'll see what he can do with it my first thought when I saw it Miles is even though Larry Fitzgerald has yet to announce his intentions, and technically he's a free agent for the first time in his career as of right now and can sign with any team, signing A.J. Green means that Larry Fitzgerald isn't coming back because you're not going to pay Fitzgerald to be the fourth receiver, and you're not going to have Hopkins, Kirk, Green, Fitzgerald, four guys active on game day, none of them playing special teams, then you got Andy Isabella, who's going to be fifth on the depth chart at best. He does some special teams, but I, I, you, there's no spot 
the the Larry Fitzgerald spot has gone to AJ Green, and if Fitzgerald plays in 2021, he's going to be playing for somebody else. Yeah, maybe he goes to Tampa and he says, "Hey, Brady, you want to help me win a ring?" And like that's just you know the real destination spot becomes Tampa Bay. But it's interesting because Larry Fitzgerald, you know, I still think he has some ability. I almost feel like they didn't quite use Larry Fitzgerald in the way that they could have last year down there in Arizona. You know, he had 54 catches. 409 yards, a touchdown. It's not It's not to me like he can't do anything. And I think he does provide value. I believe we all saw that clip of uh, the, the Cardinals at the 49ers game where he's running the ball into the officials so they make sure that they can spike it and they make sure that they have enough time there in a two-minute drill to, to go on the field and win. So it, I think Larry Fitzgerald does still have value even though he's going to be playing for his 127th season in 2021 if he decides to play. But it is a little interesting that he has not yet decided or at least publicly announced whether or not he's going to play because last year that happened in mid-January. We're already in mid-March right now. So I think from the Cardinals standpoint, they had to say, all right, we need to make sure that we have all of our bases covered. And that's why it makes sense to go after A.J. Green because he's a little bit younger and he ostensibly maybe does have a little bit more ability that works out in that offense. I never thought he was a guy who would play for another team, and I still don't believe he'll play for another team. He was a ball boy for the Vikings in 1998 when they had Chris Carter, Jake Reed, Randy Moss, and his father, who still is a sports writer in Minnesota, said it's been about 10 years ago that he believes eventually Larry Fitzgerald will play for the Vikings, but they're not a Super Bowl contender, so why would that be your last stop? I think when he said last year, and I think it was November-ish, that um, if the Cardinals win the Super Bowl, he'll retire. Well, nobody looked at the Cardinals as a Super Bowl contender. I just wonder whether that was his clue then. That's his first sprinkling. I got one more year after this one, and I'll consider playing for a Super Bowl contender to try to cap my career with a ring. And the Bucks would make sense. The Chiefs would make sense. He's a guy who brings leadership. He brings cachet. Not the cachet is going to win football games, but he brings something to your team. That 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 smart, heady stuff that we saw when he runs the ball in to to get the the clock killed. So I, I think that I think there's still gas in the tank. The question is whether he wants to leave Arizona and cap his career somewhere else. It's not like anybody in Arizona would be upset with him. You know, I've always had this weird sense that not always, but just over the past few years, that maybe he'd like to get into politics and, uh, you know, you don't want to lose votes in Arizona by leaving the Cardinals. I just think at this point in his career, nobody would care if he did. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, I mean, when I was covering the Rams and the Rams would often go down to Arizona toward the end of the season, it felt like every year they were saying goodbye to Larry Fitzgerald. I feel like there was one year, it might have been even 2018, where they were like, had the 12 days of Larry Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald's 12 best plays, and then Larry Fitzgerald threw a touchdown pass, and it was like, wow, that's kind of the only thing Larry Fitzgerald hasn't done, and now he's played for two more seasons, so I feel like they've been saying goodbye to Larry Fitzgerald just in case for the last few years. And if there's one place that Larry Fitzgerald wants to go to finish his career and have a good chance of getting a ring, I agree with you, Mike. There there probably would not be much animosity from Arizona. Rodney Hudson, the Raiders center, who supposedly was going to be cut. And how often do we hear this? A guy's going to be cut, and then all of a sudden (laughs) here comes the trade market. The Cardinals giving up a third-round pick for Hudson and a seventh-round pick, and I mean, I'm told teams were already negotiating with Hudson before he was released. What a shock tampering happens. But the Raiders at least turned that contract into value with a third-round pick. 
I am amazed at what the Raiders are doing with their offensive line. If I'm Derek Carr, maybe I want to be traded to Seattle or anywhere else when I consider that all my blockers, except for my left tackle, will be gone. Uh, although Richie Incognito, we'll mention that in a second, he's coming back. But Hudson gone, and the Cardinals making another effort to go all in to, to try to improve this team dramatically in the toughest division in football. Yeah, and look, I think it's interesting that Hudson, you know, thought that he was going to be released. He asked to be released reportedly, and now he's going to Arizona. And the other thing about this is, how about the Raiders actually getting a third-round pick back for a guy who had been, it was reported that he was going to be released. So I think we actually kind of have to give Mike Mayock, John Gruden, a little bit of credit there. And the Arizona Cardinals for saying, look, this is a guy that we believe can really help our offense, really help our young quarterback. I firmly believe that the, one of the best things for a young QB is a good veteran center because they can help with protection calls. It just takes one thing off the young QB's plate. And now Kyler Murray is going into his third year. So yes, he should be a little bit more advanced in those kinds of things. But whenever you can add somebody like Rodney Hudson and you really want to make sure that this team is getting better, that's one way to do it very easily. So I think that Hudson is certainly worth what uh, Arizona gave up in order to get him. But when you look at the Raiders and what they're going to be doing now, man, you, you're Derek Carr. You're just kind of looking at it and you're like, I really liked playing with Rodney Hudson. It was something that I just never really had to think about. What was the snap going to be like getting to me? What were my protections going to be like in front of me? And when you have somebody like Andre James, who's a young guy, you know, he came into this league undrafted in 2019. That's not necessarily going to be the case anymore for Derek Carr. It's just a strange dynamic for a team that seems to be trending upward to all of a sudden make these dramatic changes on the offensive line. Now, one of the changes that that was made has been unmade. Richie Incognito says he's back with the Raiders on a one-year deal. It's amazing to me we're eight years removed from the bullying scandal in Miami. Jonathan Martin long gone from the NFL. Richie Incognito still going strong, and he sat out. All of 2014, I think. Then he was with the Bills, and it went sideways there. And he sat out another year. And then the Raiders have had him for the past few years. Uh, he'll be sticking around, assuming that that this is accurate. With Richie Incognito, you never know 100% certainty that what he's saying is accurate. But let's assume that it is. At least it's not 80% of the offensive line gone. It's only, only 60% gone. Yeah, and I think at least if, you know, that's Derek Carr's blind side, right? So he's got Colton Miller still there at left tackle, and the Raiders feel really good about the progress he's made. They've then got Richie Incognito coming back. We'll see if he can stay healthy, though, this year in 2021, because he really didn't in 2020. Uh, if you have at least that solidified, and it's not like you're going to be, at least in theory, integrating somebody new um, into your entire system completely because Andre James, who ostensibly will move up to replace Rodney Hudson at center, has been there for the last couple of years. That's at least, you know, 60% of your line that has actually been there before now. And it seems like, you know, whether Denzel Good is going to be back, John Simpson, that's another person that has been in the building. You still are going to have to figure out who your right tackle is going to be, though. And that is a significant thing, whether it is somebody that you draft or whether it's somebody that you say, you know what, we feel like we can get a veteran to come in here as a free agent. That is still a very, very important position, especially when you're in a division like the AFC West. One quick note on the way to break here. Nelson Aguilar, who had a very good one season with the Raiders, he signed with the Patriots. The Raiders needed a receiver. They picked up John Brown, who was cut by the Bills. 
Remember, the Raiders were mentioned as a candidate for Juju Smith-Schuster. I think this Brown signing is an indication that they're not going to be the team that pays Juju whatever he wants. To me, that's still one of the most intriguing angles here. Juju, Kenny Galladay, still waiting, 52 hours in, now 53 hours in, almost 54 into this process, still waiting for a payday that apparently isn't going to come. Let's take a break. When we return, another guy waiting on the other side of the ball, cornerback Richard Sherman. When will he get signed and how much will he get during his second foray into free agency? More PFTPM right after this. Richard Sherman, potential Hall of Famer, some would say likely Hall of Famer, decade of work and he's been a great player, entered the league as a low round pick in 2011, established himself in 2012. We all became aware of him with his You Mad Bro picture in Tom Brady's face after the Seahawks beat the Patriots that year and became a key member of the Legion of Boom, negotiated his own deal three years ago with the 49ers. Now, acting as an agent again, he's waiting for that phone to ring. He said on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, it's been in slow motion so far. The Saints reportedly have interest in Richard Sherman. You know, it's not going to be easy to get what he's looking for. No one's going to pay you for what you've done in the past. The question is, what are they going to pay you for what they think you'll do in the future? And is it enough to get you to say, I'll keep playing? That's really going to be the question for Richard Sherman. Yeah, and and because he's going to be 33 at the end of the month. And I think that right now, basically, whenever you're talking about veterans in this league, it's going to be a depressed market for them. And we've seen some cornerbacks get some money, but I don't really know that anybody's gotten like, big, big time money in free agency right now, and especially given what in, with the injury history that Richard Sherman has. I mean, he played only five games in 2020. I don't know exactly what he's looking for, but he's probably not going to receive top dollar as somebody who is, you know, in his mid thirties and only played five games last year. I, I think it makes a lot of sense that his market is slow right now. And really it might be best for him to maybe even wait until after the draft to see what teams really still have a need at cornerback. I mean, I feel like that just might be the way it works out. Mike, I don't, I don't know exactly where his market is right now. Miles, this is something I said before free agency began and specifically before the pre free agency negotiating window opened at some point within the last couple of weeks, I said that if Robert Sala, the new jets coach, who was the defensive coordinator during the entirety of Richard Sherman's time in San Francisco. If Sala is not at the front of the line to sign Robert to sign Richard Sherman, that is the reddest flag that possibly could fly about whether or not anyone else should be at the front of the line to sign Richard Sherman. Because as Sala is trying to get his system in place, get his way up to speed. If he's not putting an arm around Richard Sherman and saying, I need you with me, that that's that screams out to me. Beware. Uh, and uh, uh, that's all I'll say about that. One other thing real quickly. J.C. Jackson, Patriots corner, gets the second round tender. We mentioned the other day Darius Williams getting the first round tender, the cornerback uh, with the Rams, Miles. I, I think that, that somebody could come along and maybe make an offer to J.C. Jackson if it's only a second round pick if the Patriots don't match. Nine interceptions last year that J.C. Jackson had. So, yeah, I think it would probably be worth it if somebody were to say, I'll give up a two in order to get this guy and make sure he can be a good CB for my franchise.
And the lower you are in round two, the more likely you are to make that move. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Wednesday edition of PFP right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh... Let's need clearing caps off the table as they try to clear cap space in L.A. I'm, I, is that is that it, or is there some deeper meaning I'm not aware of? Hey, Miles, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, hey, they've got some work they got to do. Uh, and and I think one of the reasons why the Stafford trade hasn't gone through yet, Stafford for Goff, is because they're going to take, we mentioned this earlier, a massive cap acceleration when they trade Goff. they got to clear all that stuff off before they can – they can do the Stafford for Goff flip. Well, not only that, but when you're clearing off caps and then it comes out that you've got to trade your longest tenured player, Michael Brockers, his defensive tackle, who's Les Needs' first draft pick, I think it's a little bit disrespectful when you're clearing caps off a table and that represents that you're clearing cap space. These guys are still human beings, after all. That's that's just and that's I, all I'm going to say about that. I, I agree with you, and I feel bad for Michael Brockers. We saw the video of him on TMZ within the past couple of weeks at LAX talking about how he's getting the upgrade at quarterback, and now the guy that he trashed he's going to be playing with. But at least the Lions are giving him a new contract, so he gets something out of that. Apparently they believe that he is ready, willing, and able to bite kneecaps in Detroit. He's a kneecap-biting kind of guy for Dan Campbell. Well, not only that, but if he's a true alpha, he's going to know when to concede. So that means <laughs> that he's going to have to go concede to Jared Goff because one of those guys has to be the true alpha there. Well, it'll be interesting to see when they finally clear enough caps off so that they can clear Jared Goff off the roster. It's going to get awkward quickly if they don't get this done by tomorrow or Friday at the latest. That's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Everybody have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.